Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to the Relatable Voice podcast. On today's episode, the RV is headed to Los Angeles to speak with Aina Hillebrand, also known as Coach Aina, she's a Fortune 500 consultant in strategic planning, as well as a memoir coach and an author. Her book, How to Write Your Memoirs, is out now. So, my dear Aina, welcome to the RV. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you. It's great to see you. Thank you. I'm super happy to see you and also to be in LA because I love this place. It's wonderful. It really is. We're having a good weather spread spree. So that's a nice thing. We've we've had some odd stuff going on, as you know. So no, no fires. No fires. Okay. Yay. Good to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At least right now. Uh-huh. So, Aina, you started out in strategic planning, but changed course after being beaten up by your <laughs> muse. So can you tell us what happened there? Absolutely. I was walking in my new home, outside my new home, in, in a place in the middle of California, which was called Pacific Grove, is called Pacific Grove. So I'm right across the street from this wonderful Pacific Ocean. I've just moved in and I've taken Handsome Hillebrand, the world's best dog. I know I'm going to have people out there saying, wait, no, mine's the, no, mine's the world's best dog. Anyway, <laughs> we were walking, but before we went out, some voice told me, take a paper and pen with you. That was pre the kind of cell phones we have now. <clears throat> so this is a very old time. So anyway, I'm walking along the cliff. I have this in my pocket. And there are these squirrels on the edge of the cliff. Now, this is a steep cliff. And the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, is raging out there. And there are sea otters. And there are just these wonderful seals. And it's just gorgeous. But right on the cliff are squirrels. And I'm so enchanted by the squirrels. And I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I had to, some food for them. So anyway, Handsome and I go up. We keep on walking along the ocean. And we get to this gorgeous, gorgeous hotel that has a huge outdoor patio. The cliffs are, I, I got settled. I ordered a cappuccino from the waiter. Handsome went wandering off somewhere. I, I'm sitting there. I'm enjoying the heck out of this place. 
and I'm hearing the seals barking and the waiter comes back and I said, and, and handsome comes back. And I said to the waiter, is there any way I could get some bread for the squirrels that I saw? He said, sure. And he comes back with bread for me. I said, thank you very much. I paid my bill. Handsome and I went back. We got to in front of the house where I'm living. Um, and I sit down on the ground. Handsome comes nearby, sits down and stays very quiet. And the squirrels, I break some bread into pieces on my lap and the squirrels came right up on my lap. And I was so excited. When they left, I had little squirrel paw prints on my lap. So I got very excited and I said, oh my God, you know what, I just felt honored. So I sat down on that bench that was there and I started writing, you know, because I had the paper and pen, I started writing that story. And then three more flew into my head and I wrote those. And about an hour later, I said, oh my God, I've got work to do. I owe a report to Sears, <laughs> my client at the time, one of my clients. So I start going back to the apartment and through a little foresty area. And I, I'm crunching on pine cones and I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. What am I doing? And a voice comes down and says, you're writing. I said, but what is this? And they said, shut up. You knew you were going to write. This is, this is, this is, this is uh, daily meditations. And I said, oh. So I went back into my, into the little house and I went about my day. I was with a musician. We had breakfast. We spent the day together. He went off to play. I took Handsome for another walk and I sat down at the computer, typed all this stuff up and I knew what I was doing from then on. Actually, it was that voice that said daily meditations. And so they, these came out as prose poems and they're short. They're the longest one is two pages. And it, it just was fun. That book became Paw Prints later. Aww. And this was your first book you've never thought about writing before i had written all my life but i it was for business for the most part you know when i was a kid i used to do creative writing but i hadn't done that in forever and it it kind of got trained out of me when i was in the business world because you couldn't i it killed me you had to tell the punchline up front <laughs> as a as as a, a person who was providing that kind of consulting focus groups and strategic planning tell them first what you're telling them and then go back in the report and prove why. So that's how this, that's how it went. It killed me. It really was very hard. So when I was doing these stories uh, that became paw prints, it was, it was, it was actually, I had to flip around inside and change my viewpoint on how I was writing because I was really building up to a point. So. Do you believe in synchronicity? Completely. Completely. That whole story was synchronicity. In fact, the musician said to me that I should debut the book when it comes out. And it did get published. I should debut the book at a zoo. <laughs> what a great idea, because it's a lot of stories about animals um, in that have come into my life one way or another. And... Uh, I wound up uh, running into 
the head of the LA Zoo, whom whom I had met because I was doing something with the Jane Goodall Institute with Jane Goodall, in fact. And I I had with that book after it was out, it became a literacy program, and I was working on that. I d- developed that, and so here I am, and I'm walking along, and who do I run into but the head of the zoo? And I said, man, the day that I got the books, and I said, man, well, I've been thinking about you. Talk about synchronicity. He invited me to come. I was there at a, at a huge event they had. I was outside. I had my own booth. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't let me go in a cage. I wanted to be in the cage. They didn't want that cut. They didn't want people seeing anything in a cage. So I was, I was Australopithecus authorensis or or Homo sapiens authorensis or something like that. Anyway, and, and I was the only, you know, it was really fun. And uh, it had at the, it had behavioral characteristics and stuff like that on a chart. And at the end, it said, please don't feed the authorensis. She thinks she's too fat as it is. <laughs> so it's always on a diet. So it, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. And yes, very, talk about synchronicity. Yes. So I do believe you do too. I know. Yeah, I do too. Nothing. Yeah. There is no coincidence. No. Yeah. I don't think. No. Yeah. And then... You've just published this book? That the, book was my first book. It was published years ago. The the new one, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I've published a, a, other books and since that time of my own and author, author, those of authors that I've worked with. I do a, a series of uh, workshops with seniors. I was doing a whole bunch of them all the time. And we were publishing on a yearly basis a collection of their writings, which are really charming. Those are the stories of the heart series. And uh, one of them became a bestseller on Amazon. By the way, Paw Prince became a bestseller. I was very proud. I saw. And yes. And uh, that one of the uh, stories from the heart was deemed, deemed a bestseller by Amazon and, and it got some very nice reviews. Um, and it's from, it's by people from all over the world. And, and we did yearly um, book launch parties which I called ice cream socials mm-hmm. because they're seniors. It was really it, a lot of fun and just a whole process. And then recent, and then I also published individual authors over time. And what I think you're referring to is Chester Richards book, which is the most recent book. And it's just, as you know, it's really a good book. It's great. Um, it's, I yeah. read his book and it's fantastic. It really is. It really is. Um, he. Let me see if I have one here. I should have it right next to me. It's falling off a chair. I'm going to have a hard time, but you can see it in the background. Yeah. Kind of. Um, it's. It's. Mm-hmm. It's a, a little bit. There it is. Um, it is the one with a. You can see a rocket heading up. It's called "From the Potato to Star Trek and Beyond: Memoirs of a Rocket Scientist." Mm-hmm. And and it it's just it's a book full of adventures that his life is filled with adventure, and he sees life as a series of of adventures. And I love that viewpoint because what that does is it allows people to see even tough things as as something to to get through, to figure out how to do that instead of getting angry that it's happening. And feeling sorry for yourself? No, no, no. What good does that do you? The point is, well, wait a minute. This is happening. How do I? How do I deal with it? You know. Yeah. And and it becomes fun. 
it becomes yeah. fun. I mean, he's got what I've called hair raising adventures in that book. Although he says, yeah, yeah, but I have hardly any hair now. So. <laughs> but he's still going through hair raising adventures. He's every day. Every yeah. time I talk to him, there's something that I learn. And it's partly because of this attitude of his that he wants to find out what's going on in order to solve a problem. That's an adventure. Even health things that come up, they're adventures, if you look at them that way. And I think it's a great attitude. And so I love working with people who are teaching me something. I feel would teach the reader who, you know, other readers something. And that's really what motivates me in working with other people too. Mm -hmm. It's learning from people who are from all over the place, literally all over the place. And with different points of view, different areas of expertise, he really he really is a rocket scientist. He's retired from that now, but uh, he's working on an invention, which is which is something else. Uh, and he's got another one brewing. <laughs> and, uh, so he hasn't really stopped. But there's that book. And we're also working on sequels because we have two more. After he wrote this one, he just the fountain was opened and he's writing continually. So we have our work cut out for us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. Chester's approach is very positive. Tell yes. Aina, you offer memoir classes. So right. what can people expect from attending your course? Thank you for asking that. The, what I want to do for people is, first of all, break that thing that everybody comes in with. A, I can't write. Or B, I can write, but I've never written a mem memoir. I have no idea. And that's beyond me. And then the, the next question is, who the hell cares? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I had that too with a muse in, in Hawaii. I think I told you that story at one point where I'm up on a cliff and I'm saying, what am I supposed to do? And that was the first term I, time I heard, write. You know, I, and, and I, who the hell cares? You know, I said, what am I supposed to write? They said, the stories of your romances. And I said, who the hell cares? And, and went down off the mountain. But at some point I will write some of that stuff. I started to, as a matter of fact. Anyway, the point is, uh, all of us, I don't care how accomplished you are, as a writer even, you will have that thought in your head, who cares if it's your own story? Unless you're rich and famous, right? And even then, people can have that kind of thinking going on. So, the, so I want to assure people that that's not the case and everybody has a story. And I have some exercises that I employ right in the first meeting that open people up to just, and, and what happens is it's like opening a door. It's, it's, I've watched it visually, you know, and they just start writing and they realize, oh, wait a minute, I can do this. I had a guy who came to one of these classes and 
<clears throat> he called me a month later and he had written 20,000 words. Wow. Right. 20,000. That's right. And we wound up completing his book. I consulted with him during that time that he was writing it. And he had just lots of stories to tell. Uh, and as I said, we all do. Uh, that one is Go East, Young Man, Go East. And it was the story of the oil boom. And he was there as, as a minister to, to the flock of what became Saudi Aramco, the, oil, the big oil. <laughs> so he had he had seen and so many different things. And he had this fascinating viewpoint. He had wonderful pictures. That's part of it, too. If, if you have photographs from over the period of your life that you've done different things. Mm -hmm. Those are those are really wonderful to put in in a book. Chester has some of those. And uh, somebody who interviewed him recently, mm -hmm. Tom Dutta, uh, was was saying he really liked those black and white pictures. And, and he in fact, when he talked with him, he he put some up as he spoke with Chester. And so that and he, he was bouncing off of those. And, and I think a picture is worth a thousand words, although the words are important, too. So, it, so that's kind of, so I want to instill that, that feeling of confidence in people. And one of the things I also tell everyone is, look, when you sit down to do this, don't think you have to write the great American novel. That's not what this is about. <laughs> do not, do not burden yourself with that. Sit down and just start writing a story as if you're talking to a friend. I want to ask you how to start a memoir. You know, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. Because... I always start with, I remember, but then I so give up. I so give up because uh, sometimes I think that I can only write fiction or maybe because it's not so interesting for the readers who are going to read about my stories. You know what I mean? So how mm -hmm. to start a memoir? Okay. In my book, I have some ideas. Uh, there are prompts in there, a ton of prompts, and they all will take you to a very specific place. Like your first, it begins with your first memory, the very first thing you can remember in your life. And then I give you some prompts around that to make it very concrete. And they're, they're easy questions. And so you go in your head and you can see, I, I ask people to visualize these things, to close their eyes and just be there. And that helps you. It really helps you and you start to get all kinds of information and you start writing down just what you recall. And that's 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 the task. Just what do you recall? What's the very first memory you ever had? One of my the my own first memory I wrote down in the book as an example. It has to do with my father coming home from the war, uh, World War II. And I was two years old or three, I think I was three. And my aunt said, when he comes in the door, say hubba hubba. <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> it was a thing at the time in the United States. And um, I still remember my aunt standing behind me or kneeling down really with her hands on my shoulders. My mother was on the stairs looking, waiting for my father to come in and my father came in. And that I still see 
I see it and I feel the feelings. I remember that. I, I, I remember seeing my cat walking by a cocktail table in the living room and all you could see was the tip of the tail <laughs> because, you know, as, as the cat, and I thought that was very funny. I remember stuff like that. There are a bunch of other things that once, once you open that door, they just come flooding in. And that's what people who come to the class say too. They, it just, it, it's, it opens the door to memories long forgotten, long lost, but not forgotten. And it just sort of opens you up. And that's what happened to that guy uh, that I told you about with the 20,000 words a month later. It just was a key he needed. That's it. He just needed to start. And you too. I mean, if you sit down and you don't burden yourself with, I have to complete all of this and I have to tell every single part of my life and I have to do it all at one sitting. No, <laughs> don't carry that burden. Just write a story from your life. Don't think about making it a novel in the beginning either. There are different ways to structure your memoir. And I have I have ideas on that in the book too. That's how to write your memoirs. The book is titled How to Write Your Memoirs. You were going to mention that. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you about it, this book because the title is How to Write Your Memoirs. Uh -huh. And can you tell us how this book came about? Yes, absolutely. I was working with these seniors I mentioned earlier. We were doing the Stories from the Heart series at the end of each year and, and then a, a book launch party. And um, one day I got, and we were publishing these, and one day I got an email from somebody in Texas who was a professor. And she said, can you help me teach my students how to write memoirs? And I said, can you afford to fly me there? And she said, no. I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> that's really, yeah. that's how it came about. Yeah. And and I also work with people who teach others. You know, I have methods that I can, you know, some techniques. And so I consult with some teachers too. So that's that's what started it. But it was really working with the seniors that gave me the information on how to do it. And also what would be helpful to other people. I was working with with these folks for several years before that book was actually written. So I had a lot of information and, yeah. and I have a lot of tools um, coming out of my own life that I brought to brought into the process too. Uh, so those are all in there. And my emphasis is on fun. My emphasis in life is on lighten up. You know, I have workshops on that and uh, comic release is one of them. And, and the idea is if we take ourselves too seriously, what we're doing isn't all that good. <laughs> you know, just really. It, yeah. And working working with other people too. And, and working by yourself, if you're sitting at the computer, just sometimes we get stuck in it. And, and one way that would help is to put on some music that you like. I have all kinds of ways to break through what, what feels like a, a writer's block kind of thing. Um, one of them is just go take a walk, yeah. get outside, get outside, and suddenly it'll all start to flow. You know, ideas come sometimes not when you're sitting at the computer. Always have something with you that you can record a couple of notes on. Don't write the whole thing. Just get a note down, a phrase, so you'll, you won't forget. But... You know, we can do it with cell phones now. That's the easiest way. But if you're 
a person who likes to write bring paper and pencil or pen. Mm -hmm. So all of that makes the process much more gettable, much more doable. And it is really fun. It's, it's fulfilling. You start building up pages, you know, yeah. and you create something. Yeah, we need to be patient as well. I, I want to write a book in one mm -hmm. month, for example. It's impossible. Uh, why am I surprised to hear that? <laughs> yes. You don't need to put yourself through that pressure. You can. There are different ways that, that famous writers have of organizing their time so that they get stuff done. Some of them write every single day, and, and what they do is they, they assign themselves a, a time of day a number of hours, whatever number it is. The important thing is to start and then stop. Mm. And the stopping is very, very important because then you have the rest of the day to have the rest of your life. Mm. I, I collaborated with somebody on a book, uh, the one that we talked about briefly last time, which is You Are Who You Eat, The Revolutionary New Cannibal Diet. I collaborated with a guy who is a marvelous, marvelous cartoonist, world-renowned. It was quite an honor to have him want to work with me. It was great. So uh, his process was he got up very early. He worked from 5 to, I believe, 11, something like that. And then he went off. He had lunch with his friends, famous cartoonists. We were in Carmel at the time. And that's where he lived. And, there, the, and, he, and Monterey is right there. And there all these famous places and famous people that were his friends and he would have lunch with them. And then, you know, and his wife was also an artist, you know, keeping that part of your life going really fuels the artistic part of you. And if you drop that part, the artistic part suffers. So having a full life is really, it, it feels great. Yeah. And there, there is a discipline to it, but it's if you keep your promises to yourself about this, it works well. Thank you for your advice. <laughs> sure. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And sure. you are also a supporter of environmental issues, which we have in common yes so what was the moment that triggered you to start being more involved in this issue uh you know i can't think of a triggering time except uh you know rachel carson and silent spring but i knew about that kind of thing before her book came out i always cared about animals from the time i was a child i always had the feeling that was my first thing it was animals always. And that has never gone away. And then it went into the environment too, because their habitats have to be protected and we're ruining our air. I mean, I lived in, I lived back East and when my parents separated and divorced, my mother and I and my brother were in Philadelphia, but in the summers we came to California. I learned how to drive in Los Angeles 
And I remember driving and having to pull over to the side of the road because my eyes were tearing so badly I couldn't see. And it was scary. It was because the air was so bad. And I thought, I know I, I was aware of that at that time. And then I, I guess I became active in it. I was always active with the animal things. But I remember while I was in Pacific Grove, I was I was very active already. And I joined a lot of different organizations. I was always contributing with donations, but um, I got into, I met some people. I met Jean-Michel Cousteau and I was privileged. Uh, I was privileged to meet him and I was working uh, in San Francisco, living up in the Bay Area. And I was running meetings there for the uh, Commonwealth Club, which was a very interesting place. And I brought Jean-Michel Cousteau in to speak. And I, that was, he was wonderful to do it. And, and I wanted to get a message out, you know, and he, what a, what a person to carry that message. And he told me stuff that his father had said about the condition of our ocean uh, right off where we were living. And, you know, it was bad. It was bad. And so I, you know, a lot of concern. I, I, it, it just, I know we can fix this even now, Although we're kind, you know, I mean, it's scary. We have perhaps passed the tipping point. I hope not. There are those who say we have. And I, but I know people who listen to science and pay attention to it can actually do miracles. The ozone layer fix has been phenomenal. People can do all kinds of repair. They just have to make a point of making that a priority. And I know your book, out of the box, my God, that's the whole point there. A very hopeful book. And it, the, the idea that you bring in that book, I, I loved it because of your viewpoint of, of, the, of, the, of the kids in the book who are the heroes. And, you know, just looking up and seeing that filthy air <laughs> you know, and finding out life doesn't have to be that way. And what do you need to do to, to change that? What Jane Goodall says is um, she has a program called Roots and Shoots, and, and, and the idea of it is everybody can make a difference. All of us can make a difference. Do one little thing, plant a seed. And the roots and the shoots are her metaphor for this, but the, you know, there's the seed in the ground and up comes a shoot and there's a plant. And you know, it doesn't take much to do that. Yeah. As long you know, we just need to be conscious, and I think we really have to. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, mm -hmm. like climate is changing rapidly. You mm -hmm. see the icebergs, and also the number of natural calamities is also increasing. And almost every year, there is flood, earthquake, landslides, and many more. I am hopeful, but I agree with you. Things need to start now. I see that there are many things being done, but I don't think it's enough. It's still not enough. It's heartbreaking what's going on in our country about that. However, I am very heartened by what has happened recently with the legislation that got passed, first time ever, that has a big chunk in there for alternative energy development. There's a mandate from the federal government to start buying vehicles that are 
electric vehicles. There, there's you get all kinds of arguments on the other side about that. About um, I, I don't want to get into it because it gets too political. Yes. But the, but the point, it, the point is, the good part about it is people are thinking that way, and they've got the cost down, so it's affordable now. And in different parts of the world, I'm so excited because I'm seeing people planting forests. You know, this is going on in lots of different places. Plant trees. We need the trees. I mean, my God, we're ruining the Amazon. That scares me to death. But because that's our, those are our lungs. That's the planet's lungs. And we can't afford that. So there have to be mitigating factors against that. But there, you know, the recent meetings in Europe are hopeful. What's happened in Germany with with solar power in the in that country? My God, that's amazing. Holland, the United Kingdom, uh, they're doing all kinds of fascinating things too. And so I'm seeing a lot of innovation going on, and in the United States too. There's there's we have a lot of inventive people here, and that's a thing in America, and and that's that's great. It just needs feeding. So that's being done. And they're, they're doing things with water that's very exciting, that are, are exciting. You know, they're, used, they're, they're treating wastewater. <laughs> it's kind of nauseating. But, you know, they have, you know about this. They have all those processes to clean up wastewater and make it potable. And, you know, these, the, California is, is really uh, pioneering a lot of that stuff, uh, the research. But so is England. England is doing amazing things. I've seen some fabulous shows on. So like you, I'm hopeful. And I, you know, I keep proselytizing about it because I think, I think it's really important. It is. Thank goodness the young people, because it's their future and they are really, really animated about it. Thank goodness they're getting active so that they can have a say and, and make things happen to keep the planet alive, yeah. which is just important. Yeah, and I interviewed an author this week and he wrote a book that escaped the matrix. Yes. The food industry is a huge problem as well. I agree. It's not just oil, it's also agriculture, especially the meat industry and i i read something or saw i think i saw a documentary about this and and that was what it was that informed me what it informed me about was maybe it was an article whatever the point is that of this piece was that when the when the the planet started having problems was when agriculture got harnessed and we had farms and the reason for the problem is the natural way of things is that animals roam. And what's good about that, herd animals roam. They need to in order to get themselves fed with food that they have not themselves contaminated with their own waste. So what they do is they, they move around and they, they keep fertilizing new places and the places where they were have a chance to recover. And that is the natural way that is healthy for the planet and for everybody concerned. So what happened with agriculture penning in animals is that it changed all that. And it's caused all the methane, as they say in England, uh, or the UK, and over here we say methane, 
I keep saying methane because I'm working on a book set there and I can't get that out of my, anyway, it's kind of fun. But you know, this is a, a very dangerous gas and, and you're right. It's, it's just as, as hard on the, on the, on our resources, our, and our air, food, land and water, you know, are really in trouble. Because, but, but the Metrix idea is, is interesting because I think they're not necessarily focusing on this moving herds around. I don't think I've seen that in there, but what they're trying to do is get people off of meat in, in a way that is at least partial. Yeah. Even right. The objective is even one day a week yeah. is, is, is a good step. It makes a big difference, huge difference. Progressively, not cold Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that's also a very interesting trend and, and can be very useful. And there are also all kinds of advances being made in creating uh, meat in a lab rather than through raising an animal and then killing it. So, I, yeah, which hurts a lot of us, you know, emotionally. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm not I'm still I'm still an omnivore because my body seems to work better that way. But it bothers me. I don't like there's. There, we could go very far on that one. I, I don't want to take us out on the limb there, but there, there are some funny things too. I mean, Douglas Adams, who, who wrote, wrote Watership Down, I heard, a very funny man. I just I wish I had met him, but I heard him being interviewed and he was talking about the restaurant at the edge of the universe, a book he wrote. And there's, the waiter is a pig and the waiter comes up to this people at the table and they ask him what the special is. And he said, well, it's my my shoulder. <laughs> and and they're what and you know i mean yes and so it's kind of but then another time he's being interviewed uh douglas adams by an interviewer and he meant was almost never ever appearing anywhere but in this interview he he consented to be interviewed and he said he he's imagining himself as a seagull flying along and he's bouncing along on the wind and and he says you know all these seagulls, they're up there. You know what? The, and you hear them talking to it. You know what they're saying to each other? He yes. says, right rudder, 30 degrees. He said, it's boring. <laughs> but then he says also, he starts talking about the ethics and morals of eating animals. And he said, you know, it's not moral to eat an animal. It, you know, it's terrible. It's when you eat it, when you eat a vegetable, it it screams. Did you know that? There's yeah. There are studies of this. Yes. Plants react exactly. No. Plants, yes. They are, they are, they know and and they feel. And and it, I think about that when I cut a piece of lettuce because I you know, a piece of lettuce is alive when you put you know, if you put a whole leaf, a whole head of lettuce, it will keep it will grow. I mean, if you put it in water. Exactly. Potato also. Yeah. Yeah, they're alive. So anyway, so so why are we so virtuous if we're doing that to plants? But but then so so what what Douglas Adams says. So what we're going to be winding up doing is eating rocks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean that's that's the point. You can take this stuff very far, but the idea, I think, the creative idea, the humane way to do things and and life saving for the planet is to think about creating synthesizing foods that are nutritious and that taste good and that please us and that sort of thing without causing destruction and harm so 
I think that's where you're heading in your head, where you were thinking, yes? Exactly what I was thinking about. And Aina, are you currently working on anything you would like to share with us? Sure. Um, First of all, Chester, I'm working with him a lot, and there are more books coming from him, as I mentioned, so that's a big deal. Uh, We've got book two that will be the first. It'll come out sometime next year. There's also a book three now of these stories. And then there are some there are some additional books. Uh, his his he he did a lot of uh, diary keeping when he was on his rafting trips early in life. So those will be coming. I know. And there are tons of photographs too. So there will be maybe photo books. So those are a whole bunch of projects. My own my own work. Um, I am working on my very first novel, and it is it is set in the Cotswolds, and. Uh, it's I'm having a lot of fun with that, but I have to listen to my own advice to others and just carve out time and get back to it. So that's where I am on that. that Great. So out. come back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank come you. back to talk about your new book when it's ready. And okay. Aina, it's always so good to talk with you. Thank you. Vice versa. I, I do want to say that also I'm working on my workshops. So you know, the writing workshops that you mentioned earlier. So that's part of what I'm, I consider that an ongoing thing. And thank you so much. I love your head (laughs) and your heart. So it's, it's always a pleasure being, being able to converse with you. Thank you. Likewise. And the most important thing is where can our listeners find you online? Ah, thank you. Um, I know the memoir coach. Ina, the memoir coach. Also for paw prints, there's inaspawprints.com. You can find me at both places. Yeah, it was a pleasure to go to LA and give you this ride. Thank you so much. You're a good driver. Thank you. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.